Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome back to another episode of the Woodsman Podcast, where we'll talk everything Pennsylvania outdoors. If you enjoy deer hunting, fishing, trapping, or just being outside, this podcast is for you. Our goal is to showcase the vast opportunity that the Pennsylvania Woodsman can experience. We hope this inspires you to get out and enjoy God's creation in the Keystone State. Welcome back to another episode of the Woodsman Podcast. I think this is episode number seven. Um, I am sitting here at the comfy desk chair I have in my house. Kid is in bed. Wife is in bed. All is is uh, quiet in the house. And I'm sipping the cool summer beverage of H2O brought to you by Creation. So thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, I'm tuning in here with Devon. Devon's been working hard, busy at the bow shop. Is that right? Yeah. That is right, and that's, uh, I guess, part of the reason we couldn't meet up tonight. Um, yeah, it's been getting pretty crazy here. As you would imagine for this time of year, everybody's finally starting to, uh, well, I mean, some of us just think about it all the time. We're kind of weird that way. There's other people that are weird that they only think about it this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> so but, like, do uh, you, like you, what, what is your busiest time as a bow shop owner? Is, is it right now, like all through season or? Um, so it'll keep getting busier. I would say up until, well, believe it or not, up until the season starts, I would say probably August, September is our absolute peak. <clears throat> um, Normally, and you can mark us down pretty much every year, the week that license go on sale um, in June, it really starts picking up and then just kind of gradually, gradually from there. But um, yeah, we had, we actually had a really busy spring for, for us, April, May was quite a bit busier than, than normal. And then it it did actually tail off a little bit in June. Um, But yeah, by all appearances, it's, it's on now. So the work that you're getting right now, are people buying new equipment or people just getting their, the stuff they have worked on and just kind of adding to equipment? Like, what are you seeing right now? Mostly. Um, some of both really. Um, if tonight, for example, I think I sold three bows and got like six into fix. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a mixture. A lot of your, you know, a lot of your hardcore guys, their buying is about done as far as big items. You know, right. they're they're now at home shooting and getting ready for the season. I don't right. want to make anybody feel bad that hasn't started yet, but um, there are that there will be a lot of guys that'll that'll still buy here in August, and I, I would say, as far as bows go, that will kind of tail off, you know, in September, just like you would imagine. But the crossbows will hold strong till probably, you know, till November, really. So please, anybody that listens to this, please tell them, is there a specific time frame? Like if if somebody's going to say they need a new string, what is the time frame as a bow shop owner that you say, this is when your bow should be in by so I can get this done and off to you so you can practice and tune it in? Yeah, yesterday. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, in all seriousness, it actually makes it really handy when guys plan ahead. For one, it helps us spread our workload out a bit. Um, I'm kind of almost a one-man show here, not quite anymore, but almost. And so when everybody comes in at once, you know, a month before the season and needs this, that, or the other thing done, it just makes it unhandy for everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, hey, if, if uh, you're looking to, you know, get a new string put on your bow or something else like that that you know – you know, the end of the season last year, you knew you were going to need it done for this year. Bring it in, you know, early spring. Um, it just makes it so much nicer for us that, you know, not everything comes in at once. But, you know, the, some of that just always will be the case and we, we'll deal with it. But, um, yeah, I would say that's uh, if you want to help us out at all, go ahead and, and plan ahead a little more. Help you out and help yourself out in this in a sense for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so as a bow shop owner, you find time to be shooting yourself and getting ready. Um, you know what? Yesterday I took my bow home for the first time. Um, I shouldn't say that. No, last weekend I had it home, um, and shot a little bit, but yesterday I took it home and actually <clears throat> shot some broadheads a little bit for the first time I've been, I try to shoot every day, just a couple hours here in the range. Um, but that's not really the same as taking it outside and stretching it out beyond 20 yards. Now, so, were you, know, you able to well. join in your groundhog roundup? <laughs> um, I, uh, I donated, but, um, I actually <laughs> did not get out at all. I was pretty pathetic. I, we were on vacation last weekend for a couple of days and yeah, I got back from that and just had too much stuff here to catch up on. So I, I forfeited that one, but, um, yeah, there was quite a few guys that did get out hey family comes first and that's what we're all about here yeah that's right that's right so you've been yep. able to get a couple arrows in so you feel like you're pretty ready um no i'm not ready but in all reality i'm not going to have a ton of time to shoot anymore um yeah i i would definitely need to uh do some more shooting but no it, it felt good um i'm not a, i'm not uh I don't shoot long in the woods, um, you know, 30 yards, pretty much my max. So to me, you know, shooting 20 in here at the range is really not that, uh, not that far out of what I'm going to be doing in the woods. I mean, I can go home and shoot 30 and that's not a whole lot of difference. I do enjoy shooting further than that. It's just, um, with my time being limited, that's the part that I don't get to do as much. Just, you know, go back to 70 yards and shoot just for fun. I don't have as much time to do that anymore as I did at one point. Well, how many times have you actually been in a hunting situation archery that you could say that you could have made a long shot on a deer? Yeah. I mean, let's face it. We, you, we all could have pushed one, you know, how it is. Mm -hmm. um, you, you see deer at 70 yards all the time. I just for myself can't imagine ever shooting that far. I mean, I do it at the target and, you know, fairly proficient at it, but I don't know. For me, it's just a totally different ball game when you're in the woods. Um, it's a different ball game when you're in the woods. It's a different ball game when it's a live target. Yep. Um, you know, I've, I, I shot a lot. I used to shoot a little bit of target, uh, indoor target. I shot a little bit outdoor 3d kind of deal. And, uh, I'm no, by no means going to, going to say that I'm a fantastic shot, but I mean, I, I practice out to a hundred yards. My goal was always, 
you know, if I had a distance in mind of what I wanted to hunt at and, and shoot at, at hunting, I wanted to be able to, to put in consistent groups, double the distance. Yep. So that was always my logic there. So, you know, you know, on, on paper, that means, you know, I'd be shooting at uh, 50 yards. Um, I've never shot at a deer at 50 yards. Um, I'm not going to say I haven't had opportunities. I've passed some opportunities. I just haven't had that situation where I need to, you know, last year, my buck I killed was 20 yards. I mean, that's just, I try to set yeah. it up that that's what I'm shooting for. Yep. This yep, year, sure. I this year I don't know how far I'm going to be shooting or what my shooting's going to be like. I am still struggling. So I had a uh, I had a terrible injury when I was in high school playing football, and I'm now really struggling and and dealing with the repercussions <laughs> of that. It's okay. uh, it's killed me to the point where it hurt to shoot my bow the past few weeks. I see. Um, it was hurting to pull it up and, you know, I shoot a back tension release. So yep. lean, I, I tend to lean, I'm not going to say hard, but I do lean on it a little bit. And, uh, I really noticed, man, that killed my shoulders and I'm, I'm trying to heal. And so I can shoot my bow, but I actually, I have a 60 pound bow and I dump my poundage down to about 52. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, I was shooting with that. And if it doesn't get any better, there's a good chance I'm going to be shooting, you know, low fifties this year in hunting season. Well, you know, they make crossbows for that kind of thing too. Hey, I'm not anti crossbows, <laughs> just not my style. Um, <laughs> I just had to say that. Absolutely. You know, I, no, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I went out with people who shot deer with a crossbow and I've been around them. I've never shot one. It just, it just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, I mean, the fact that crossbows get other people out are great. I mean, Hey, it's good business for you too. It's just, it's definitely not my style. So anyway, um, yeah, I am definitely struggling with, uh, with my back. It's definitely getting better, but I'm hoping to, uh, start flinging a couple more arrows. I haven't shot past 20 yards. I was just doing blank bail just to try to, you know, shooting three feet away, trying to build muscle, but it's just, uh, it's been a slow progression. I'm way behind compared to where I normally am. This is july 27th i'm uh, i'm a little bit further behind than i like yeah <laughs> yeah hopefully that uh straightens itself out for you yeah we'll we'll get there so have you uh tell us tell me a little bit about your uh your camera strategies and you know you, i know you put a pile of cameras out here recently and i think you pulled a couple what are you seeing here lately um yeah i did i still don't have quite all of them out um I have too many spots, I guess, but, uh, no such thing, I guess it depends how you look at it. Um, I have, I would say for me, it has been kind of slow. Um, there's some, I haven't checked real recently, so maybe that's not a real fair statement, but I do have some cell cameras out. I think, I don't know, maybe five or six. So I get, you know, info from them whenever they're taking a picture, but, um, yeah, there's a couple bucks that I was looking for that, um, well, two or three of them for sure I've caught back up with, or I've gotten, you know, a couple pictures of to at least know that they're still alive um, on, yeah, a couple different spots. There's still a couple that I am looking for that I haven't seen yet. <clears throat> um, I don't know. You know, it's still, it's still early. It's still there. Um, you know, what you're seeing now isn't never really, I try not to get too excited about it because we all know it, it changes quite a bit. 
but it is interesting to see what's out there. Um, yeah, there, there's a couple good ones. One thing I have noticed, and it'll be interesting to see what you think about this, or I haven't really talked to a lot of other people about it, but I wonder if our hard winter last year affected antler growth at all, because I mentioned there was a couple bucks I was wanting to catch up with, and, and I have, um, and it really seems like they haven't really put much on since last year. And I know that does vary from deer to deer, but um, I wonder if I wonder if the hard winter didn't play something into that a little bit as far as antler growth. What do you think about that? Uh, absolutely. It's going to be different everywhere across the whitetails home range, especially based on habitat. Uh, yep. The higher the quality habitat, <clears throat> the more available food supply the better those deer are going to be off. But there's no doubt that when you have extreme harsh conditions for a long period of time, uh, those deer are not able to plateau, so to speak, from their mm-hmm. growth potential. They're going to dip down and go into shock mode, basically trying to reserve body heat and energy. And there's a lot of recovery from that. Um, one, yeah. of the, one of the QDMA studies I read was that deer um, bu- uh, bucks that have, rutted three and a half years and older can lose up to 30 to 35 percent of their total body weight so i mean okay. you think about that going into november and then we get in through through december um now they're in recovery mode so if you're hunting a place where there's great habitat maybe they can recover and have the food supply to go through but i mean you know i, I speak just for myself where where we're at uh, we have a food plot program in place, but uh, it's pretty much a contiguous forest of very minimal improvements, except for the property that we're on and the crop fields around us are gone. Everything was covered in snow for uh, is, is a month stretching it, Devon. Uh, no, I think it was longer than that, actually. Wasn't it basically from, you know, beginning of february till mid uh man it was at least mid-march at least some places till they got melted off i don't know it just felt like an eternity that's all i remember <laughs> yeah, that's for sure did so i mean you think about that amount of time those deer are not moving far and if you've got all your brows is consumed your food plots are consumed if you've got nothing um that's going to affect antler growth you know it's going to affect uh it actually affects fawns um, believe it or not, there's been studies that show that a doe will abort a fetus, um, in those okay. situations. Um, don't ask me how they can do that in that study. I think that's beyond me, but that was a, a study that I read. So absolutely. I think it having an effect on antler growth. Yeah. Um, what are you seeing? Well, that's a, that's a sad subject. So <laughs> for, for one of the properties we're at, we have not seen anything. This is one of the first years in a long time where we don't have anything that wows us. There is okay. a, a really nice buck that we're going to guess is a four-year-old. And <laughs> he's, uh, he's really nice, but he's not any bigger than he was last year. Um, kind of the okay. same thing what you saw. There's yep. a, a couple other buck that I th- we, we're going to guess that they're four and a half, maybe five. Like, they're really nice buck, but, you know, they're they're – not high scoring deer. Not that that makes a <clears throat> makes a huge difference as far as trophy quality in my eyes, yep. but it's just uh, it's just something different than I've been used to for the past five years. Because the past five years, um, we've been, you know, we've had our eyes on a deer that's 
we know has scored 140 or better. Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, it's just a different uh, realm. Um, yeah. The uh, I I do have eyes on one deer in my uh, at, at another spot that is probably going to be pushing that 130 mark. It's a nice deer, and uh, okay. I've not got a picture of him, but I laid eyes on him in the bean field nearby. And I just, uh, took a walk. I had been, uh, cyber scouting on police for a while and finally put boots to the ground this past weekend, uh, with, uh, one of my hunting buddies. And we put a couple cameras out, scattered a couple areas, and I'm anxious to see what shows up. It's a new spot for us. And I'm, I'm anxious to see what happens. Yeah. Cool. So, um, but right now what I've been uh, really geared towards trying to prepare for food plots. Yep. Same, same here. So I was, uh, I was busy spraying last week and got things cleaned up. <clears throat> we had, uh, we had done, done a little tinkering this year, um, had some positive things happen, had some negative things happen, but uh, ended up spraying fields clean uh, with, uh, a quart per acre of roundup and a pint per acre of two, four D and planning to go in and no-till food plots into that. Okay. Yep. How, how about you? How does, how's the corn look? Um, so yeah, the corn looks real good. Um, so normally what we do is, uh, and I think we might've talked about this in our, um, the uh, podcast we did about the spring food plots, but we do Absolutely. a lot of corn. Um, And then what we'll do is come back in about this time, anything that's been, you know, has had the heart eaten out of it or isn't putting an ear on basically end rows, um, edges, and there's a couple other plots we had left open in the spring as well. Um, Mm -hmm. we'll bush hog them down, kill them, whatever. And, uh, yeah, usually I like to shoot for first week in, in August, uh, which is coming right up here. Um, so. Yeah, actually, uh, my dad's headed out to the farm tomorrow to do that, to uh, burn down. <clears throat> and um, hopefully next week we can get out there and get some seed in the ground. Um, to answer your question, the corn is actually looking really nice. We had, um, when we were dry here earlier on this spring, May, June, um, they were getting some rains out there that we did not. And so they grew real well um, out the farm there while we were pretty dry here. And, um, yeah, corn looks great. I think it's going to be a real good crop. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what it does as far as ears, but it's looking like it's going to be, be pretty nice. That's fantastic to hear. And for those of you who are listening to this and don't know what we're referring to, you know, we've done a podcast on spring food plots and you should really check it out because we went into some, uh, slightly unorthodox ideas and just some, some overall planning, um, from from herbicide management to uh fertility management and i think it's really important because you went through when you planted you would have you would have burned down did you just use roundup or did you use any residual herbicide devon uh pretty much just roundup yeah i believe okay yep so did you guys end up doing just two passes of roundup in that field to clean it up or what did you do we did we did yeah um i can't remember when it was it was in june sometime uh dad went through it and um but yeah it's it's really clean now it's it's nice excellent and you would have put some nitrogen on that as well we did yep okay so what did you do then just go in broadcast uh urea yeah 
Yep, it was a pelletized stuff. Okay. Works a little better for what we got and just throw it in a, a spinner spreader or whatever and, and apply it that way. I think that's most of us. So um, would you say that corn is your base out there? Um, it has for years past. Um, just it works well for us. Um, you don't have as much summer browse pressure on corn typically as you would beans. And right. our plots are big enough that we can do corn. I will say this, and we said this before, but if you just got a quarter acre plot, don't, I mean, don't bother with corn. It's not that don't produce enough to, to tie up that quarter. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we have probably close to eight acres of it, I believe. Okay. Um, so that's, you know, you start doing the math, but you know, that's quite a few bushels of corn there. And Absolutely. what we also do as well. <clears throat> so this year, for whatever reason, I said, it looks real nice and it does, it is pretty thin, like thinner than we would have probably tried to plant it. I think we had some germination problems. Um, we had used a bag or two of leftover seed from last year. And, uh, but what I think it's going to lend itself well to is going back through it and just uh, overseeding. So probably what we'll do is is either put wheat or rye in it. Uh, we'll okay. just uh, go through it with a hand spinner spreader. And I believe that's going to work better this year than it has in years past just because the corn is thinner. Mm-hmm. Typically, that seed will sit there until the corn starts drying down and it starts getting light in there. Exactly. Um, and that has worked really well for us. So we're basically double cropping. Um, if you couldn't do that, I, I still think it'd be a toss up whether corn be worth it or not. But if you can get, you know, something else growing in between the rows there, it's a win-win in my opinion, you got grain and green in the same field. It's hard to beat. Yeah. So basically what you're discuss- describing there is kind of what we talked about early on in a planning sense. You know, I talked about 60 inch corn, being able to manage that with an ATV, and yep. having green grow in between. And I've seen good success with that from an agronomic standpoint, people who are trying to be initiative with, with soil health and have a cover crop growing, you know, or companion crop growing with that corn. Um, and I won't get on a tangent, but you know, that's a great benefit, but there's no doubt about it. I'm anxious to see your results, how you have a, a basically a, a green with a grain and how that affects your hunting and your deer movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's worked well so far, like some years, I, when you're overseeding, um, you know, when you're not putting the seed in the soil at all, it's a lot more dependent on, on your rain. So some years, obviously it works better than others, but we have had some, some really good stands of small grain in between those corn rows already. And, uh, always what you hope for. So when you're going on, you said a small grain being wheat or rye, are you doing just a flat rate of say, you know, two bushels? Or what do you, what's, how are you handling that? Um, that's a good question. Uh, for, for one, it's really hard to get it on because uh, you're either walking between the rows or driving between the rows. Um, so basically, I'm not even sure how to answer that question. It's, it's uh, not necessarily down to science for sure. Um, basically, however it works the best. You don't want to get it too thick, but at the same time, um, you're, you're going to, anytime you overseed like that, you're going to have seed that just nothing happens to, um, exactly. you lose a lot of seed. I shouldn't say a lot, but you lose some seed by broadcasting like that. So you got to, uh, 
we usually tend to air to the heavy side. Exactly. And I've seen the exact same thing. You know, I've, I've seen cases where broadcasting with plenty of rain is just absolutely fantastic to the point where you wouldn't even know that it was thrown on top of the seed. But then I've also, yeah. been, you, you've experienced the same thing where you can have some loss with the broadcast rate. So, I mean, the one thing I've been leaning towards, and I'll, I'll probably talk about this with, with uh, my food plus strategy a little bit, but We've been uh, layering it. So, you know, we'll, we'll do our initial planting of the mix that we're going to use this year, come back uh, about two weeks later, layer about 108 pounds of rye per acre, um, which is just a little less than two bushels. So just figure I'm putting two bushels on and yep. broadcasting that. And, you know, I say about how do you figure how much? Well, I just know how big the food plots are. Um, yep. I know how much rye I want to have. And then pretty much all it comes down to is I use an earthway seeder, fill that baby up, open the, the nozzle as far as it goes and crank it fast and walk fast. And I mean, that's, there's yep. no exact science to it, but I mean, I just have a, a measured amount of seed that I'm going over top of and right. we'll put that hundred pounds on and then come back in another two weeks. So let's say we're planting, you know, I'm planning if uh, weather holds out and everything holds out, I'm planning on doing some planting of our first crop this weekend. So that might mean I might wait till Labor Day and layer that rye or wheat over top of it and maybe go in September 15th, another two weeks later, do the same thing. And the, the, the reason for that is, number one, it's going to fill in any gaps where maybe you had poor germination or, you know, seed washed from a heavy rain or something. So there was a bare spot. Um, it'll fill in in those gaps. But number two, you've got different maturities of crop. And I think we all know if we've had any experience with food plots that there's nothing that beats lush, young, tender growth to it as far as attraction. Yep. Um, you know, you've grown soybeans as a farmer and you know that when they're in those first trifoliate stages, those first vegetative stages, they're extremely tasty and dear love them. Yep. yep. So um, that's kind of a, you know, our thought process of trying to, you know, two birds in one stone, you know, get enough tonnage and, and thicken it. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a higher than the normal rate of small grain you know, compared to what you'd hear a, a farmer, you know, when you, when you were, uh, when you were dairy farming, I mean, what was the rate that you'd plant rye and triticale for silage? Um, you know what? I'm not even sure on that. Probably two, three bushel. I'm guessing probably something like that. So, I mean, I'm talking about like four bushel were a little bit higher than you would be normal hearing, but it's, it's layered for a food plot. So, I mean, there's, right. there's, you're using some concepts for food plotting that are agronomic, but you're, you're changing some things is kind of the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. And that's one of the benefits we have of, well, you're not far from your food plots and between me and my dad, we get out there, you know, every other week or so. So it's not like, you know, you're driving upstate one time and in, uh, you know, August planting your plots and you're not going to be back till hunting season. That's one luxury we have of being able to go back two or three times and do like what you just said there. That's definitely mm -hmm. a, definitely a benefit for sure. Yep. Certainly. I like that. Yeah. So, um, so what other, so you're going to be broadcasting into your corn. You said you're going to be broadcasting a cereal grain, Yep. Um, are you going to be planting any other fall food plots this year? Um, yeah, we'll probably do some brassicas. Um, it's going to sort of depend. We have three clover plots right now and, and I'm kind of debating which is, which one of the three I'm going to, um, terminate 
and put Braskas in, or if we're just going to let those go. Um, we do have another plot that we had pretty much just killed off this spring and we actually planted some rye in at this spring just so it would have something in it was a new some new ground we had just pushed off so that there will get burned down here this week and that that'll get brass because for sure but there again it's just going to be some corners here there probably we don't really have a designated brassica plot per se unless we like i said kill off one of those clover plots Mm -hmm. um so, yeah, this year we won't probably have as many brassicas as other years. So last year, believe it or not, we actually – we had a lot of brassicas that did really well. And come spring, there was still – I bet we had – the one big field, it was about two acres. <clears throat> um, I bet there was – half of those brassicas were still there come March. Um, and, that yeah, they were – I mean – they never go to waste to go into the soil and, and help things out. But it's not like, I think we actually had more than the deer could use last year. Mm. Um, so yeah, with just the way things are working out, we're not going to have quite that many this year. I don't believe, but yeah, I usually do try to try to have some somewhere. Cause I do like them for late season. Um, I think it's interesting you- that brassica conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You know, so many times you'll hear people that'll say, you know, turnips or radishes or whatever that that's that's the best food plot that's the best food plot and uh and i'm sure you've had cases i mean you sort of experienced it and i've had other people tell me that you know they they didn't they didn't touch those brassicas i planted them and they didn't touch them yeah um i don't know that i quite have that one figured out the only thing that i i know is they're gonna eat what's the best available food source at that time yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so, are you going to be are you going to be doing any brassicas? Yeah. So, um, this is year two for doing the same food plot system that uh, <clears throat> we. I'm not going to claim any credit for it. We we took this from another very advanced food plotter, um, a uh, whitetail hunting consultant by the name of Jeff Sturgis. If anybody is listening to this and knows that name. Um, he's, uh, he has some, some pretty good concepts, but his food plot concepts in the fall have been, uh, planning the same thing in every food plot. And I'll get into why, why his reasoning is for that. And, uh, splitting the plots in half, um, half okay. of that plot is peas as a base with a, a slight mixture of soybeans into that and oats. Um, and oats okay. are basically going as a nurse crop. So yep. in one half, you've got this side of, you know, legumes that are kind of, I think he calls it his sweet side. And the other half is straight brassicas. Um, the, <clears throat> the reason for that is, is trying to stagger early, mid and late season green food sources and having them at the same location is going to keep that movement consistent. You know, you're not going to have yep. one food source maturing at once, one time of year going unpalatable and switching to another area of your farm where, you know, you've got uh, beans over here, then they mature. And then the other end of the farm, the brassicas are the hot spot. So you, it's keeping the movement to that food source consistent. Sure. Um, and the, the last part of the food plot would be, we'll go in, as I said earlier, and layer rye um, 
100 pounds per acre and our plan is to do that just on the legume side uh, the logic behind that, and it's not something I necessarily agree with, but we're gonna we're gonna try it this year. Last year, our food plots were a major fail because we had a we had a major drought. Yep. Um, so we ended up salvaging our plots with tillage radish and and rye. I mean, that was our food plots with tillage radish and rye last year, and it worked. But so mm-hmm. year two, this is basically year one of seeing how the system works. But the theory is if you put rye and a brassica together, that they're going to compete with each other. And there's truth to that. Um, If you are trying to maximize potential of one, they're going to compete with the other. That is true. However, if you want brassicas to be your base and you give them a head start and then come back and layer rye in between, the brassica, if you get it to the correct growth stage, is going to choke out the rye for a duration of time. Then if the deer come through and annihilate that brassica crop, what's left rye underneath that will take off. So you have something growing all the time and it stays a good food source. So I kind of went on a tangent there, but so we're going to be planting on one half oats, bees, uh, beans, and peas. And the other half is going to be a mixture of, I think it's two, two different types of turnips, uh, a radish, a kale. I, I don't know what all's in it. It's a couple different things. So that's going to be how we're planning on doing that. Um, cool. <clears throat> so your fall plots do you so splitting them in half like that so you pretty much have pretty much every option that you have available is there in the field in every field right correct am i following you that that's the goal um yeah that is what we're shooting for the so, go ahead so are you you do that more for um let's say early season or where does that tend to pay off for you guys the most or where, where do you where do you utilize that the most you hunt over early season um after frost late season i'm guessing probably late season there's not much left of any of that it really depends on the specific location and on the farm and it okay. also depends on uh the hunting pressure you sure. know it's been a it's been an ongoing thing we've learned but what i'll say is the food plots have had we have had good hunting success that we did this last year. We had good success from opening day of archery season into flintlock muzzleloader season. Okay. Um, opening night of archery season, we killed a hitless buck in a food plot. Yep. The, the rest of the season, um, the, there's three, three of us that, that mainly hunt this, this farm I'm, I'm talking about. And and I'm talking archery season and yep. I killed my buck on a separate parcel last year in late October. So two of us were tagged out and that left the you know, last guy to, to try to seal the deal. And he hunted his tail off for basically one specific deer and laid eyes on him twice last year and wasn't able to kill him. But that deer he was hunting was daylight in food plots constantly from the beginning to the end of the season um he was just playing a one-man chess match you know it's a it's a i think it's a 250 acre parcel that uh he was hunting it by himself and you know it's a it's a completely wooded parcel everything that's been done to that property as far as food plots have been dozed out individually any other habitat improvements have been created you know it's a it's a straight normal hardwood forest and 
any manipulation in the habitat and growth stage of plants has been, you know, cut back by us. Mm -hmm. So trying to connect all that on a big property has been a big job for, for my, uh, or for us, especially. Um, yeah. So it, it was tricky, but basically what I'm getting at is last year we had good success with the food plots until they were browsed off. There's certain locations of the farm that high, that hold a higher percentage of deer and therefore the browse pressure is worse. Um, yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to separate it to the top and the bottom. We, uh, so it's a, it's a mountain that goes <laughs> up and we own some land. He owns some land on the top and the food plot on top was just, down to a putting green by rifle season of last year. Some of the other fields still had rye growing in December into January, and they, they polish it off sometime in flintlock season. Okay. So we did have good success that way. I would love to have said we, we killed uh, more than one buck last year there. Mm -hmm. We didn't, but I'm still going to consider it a success because we did continue to have daylight activity of deer. We wanted to shoot through those. fields. Yeah, absolutely. So it was a success. The The problem we had was the, the, the drought. And, right. Uh, yep. Yeah, we had, I think we had a couple of rains out at our farm in August that you did not have kind of got ours started off. In fact, some of our brassicas, and I think this is the reason they lasted so long. Some of them, I just, I think just got, uh, they got almost a little bit too old. Um, mm. Always, you always run into that risk as well when we plant early like this i mean if it keeps raining all the time like it's been and i'm not complaining about it at all but um you know if if they're you know growing growing away for all of august all of september and we have a late frost yet they're getting pretty pretty old by then or they can be yeah but that's always a, a risk you take and then the time you decide to wait till september to plant them then it's dry in september and they only germinate and you know end of september and you only get two or three weeks of growth and then there's barely anything there. So, well, and I think the thing you got to keep in mind is the deer pressure is so much thing. Like for me, um, we can plant brassicas now and knock on wood. We have never, ever run into what you just described of them maturing. Okay. Yep. Deer have just annihilated them. And I think it has to do with the, the property type. Yeah. The deer density within that property type. And if I can kind of lay it out, it's a giant, it's a mountain is what it is. It's a mountain. The To the south of us, within probably a half mile, is a lot of agriculture. But it's mm-hmm. a, a steep ridge that had it holds deer, and they go down to ag at night. But, you know, the, the measly six acres of food plots that um, we're planting do not uh, – it's, it's not enough for the level of deer that's there. So it seems like it doesn't matter what we plant, they annihilate it. Now, you, on the other hand, you have a – good amount of deer but you have uh you said eight acres of corn so i mean you've got some food yeah we do and we're we're surrounded by ag pretty much as well um so it's not like we got the only food available for them so yeah that that plays into it as well i'm sure yeah it's it's always a tricky thing and i think people often will say about you know, it's the, the, it's a one size fits all ordeal. And I just, I mean, the more I do this and, and the more I'm learning, trying to be a steward of this animal and just learn as much as I can, I just don't think that's the case. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. Varies no matter where you go, it seems like. 
So let's talk a little bit about plot establishment. So you had planted corn. Um, you have to your access and in your your background knowledge as a farmer, you uh, have a corn planter and a drill to establish anything you want, correct? Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, yep. um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, uh, unfortunately I don't have that. And I think a lot of us don't have that, but I mean, yep. is it, uh, is it pretty much a simple game? I mean, you try it, if you're going to plant fall food plots, you're having a field clean, free of weeds sprayed with roundup. Um, and- so- yeah and i guess that depends how we're going to plant it so this this fall is going to be different for us i said we have a corn planter and a drill at our disposal this fall we do not have a drill at least not yet um we were uh we had bought another one and it it, uh yeah like the way of a lot of other things right now just is not coming in so it looks like we're going to be doing it old style probably probably do a lot of just um broadcasting into the uh the killed thatch and mowing it down on top of the seed or maybe Mm -hmm. um, color packing it not sure depending if we can you know get it right before rain obviously it it don't make as big it's not as not as big of a deal if it's going to be raining an hour after you you uh spread your seed but um that's probably how we're going to be doing some of it at least this year unless we can get a hold of of a drill Let's talk a little bit more about that, Devon, before we go into the next thing, because I think what you just said there is a fantastic way to establish a food plot. Everybody thinks they have to have big equipment uh, till the daylight's out of the soil. And what you said was pretty minimally invasive, but we both have done that and had good success. So you're 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 you said the thatch. So you're talking to field was you're saying weeds or an old food plot or what's in that field? Yeah, so just take, for instance, the field that I mentioned earlier that we had just pushed off this spring and and uh, uh, planted rye in it. So that rye now is, you know, four or five foot tall. It's all headed out. It's it's turning brown already on its own. It's pretty weedy. Um, we're going to go through that, spray that, kill it, and that there will be the absolute perfect um, environment to just broadcast seed into. Um, if, if all that, if all them weeds and everything's terminated, you can broadcast your seed in there as long as it can get to the ground. Um, you mow that, whatever's there, the dead weeds, the rye, everything, mow it down on top of that seed. It's like, it's kind of like planting grass and then putting a straw over top of it. Really exactly. keeps the moisture in there. Um, it just, I don't know, it's worked really well for us. We, we, I don't know that we have ever um done any tilling in the fall we always either do that or like i said we other years we had access to a no-till drill that obviously works really well is really good as well but um that certainly that certainly can work absolutely and i I, one thing i'm going to touch base on that with what you just said so that method has worked really well for me the thing i want to air everybody on the caution is don't try that with large seeds don't try that with a soybean don't try it with peas it you're going to have a lower success rate um, unless you've got a ton of rain you can do it um, i think you're better off doing that with smaller seeds like uh, brassicas and cereals yep you're correct 
Um, but yeah, and what I have found to be what's worked the best for me is in a, in a situation like Devon just said, um, I will go through and broadcast exactly in, you know, into that without doing a thing. And a lot of the time I'll bump my seating rate up a little bit just because it is a broadcast. You're going to have a situation where you might lose some some germ you might have some that just don't make it to the soil so i've been bumping my seating rate up from whatever the normal seating rate is to about 1.25 to one and a half times um, and you got to base that on your your experience with that i would start at least 1.25 and if you you know see it's a little bit on the lower side i would bump it up again in the future but broadcasting into that coming through with glyphosate uh, one quart per acre of roundup and killing that then I only wait, you only need to wait an hour. Uh, glyphosate is rain fast before that. And by that time, it has moved through the plant because it's systemic. So it's going to move through all those plants. It's going to be dead at the roots. Then you can go through, mow it, cull the packet, do whatever you want to do to cover that seed. And that's what has worked really well for me. And that's similar to the process I think you were just talking about doing. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good point there. I forgot to make, but for all these guys that are, you know, maybe they are just making the one time trip upstate. You can do all of this in one day. You really can. Uh, you don't have to wait till this, you know, all your stuff turns Brown and dies. Like, like Mitch just said, um, you can, you know, you can kill it. And, uh, you know, an hour later, you're good to go pretty much. Um, and yeah, if it works out for you to do everything one day, it is possible to do that. We do it all the time. I mean, the food plots that I'm planting are within are 10 minutes from my house, but uh, trying to juggle a, a career and family and everything else, I try to do it as efficiently as I possibly can. Um, yep. Number one, I hate tilling soil. Number, It's just not needed. It's not necessary. It's bad for the soil. I'm also on a farm and I said I'm on a mountain. I'm sitting on very, very thin top soil. I got to save all I can. And it's yeah. not good flat soil either. So you get any kind of rain, it's it's tilled. It's going to run off. Uh, we've we've done that. I've I've spent back before I had any clue what I was doing. Not that I have much of a clue now, but back before I had any clue and, and you know, did as I was told before we knew any better, we picked rocks all the time. You till and yeah. you pick rocks and you pick rocks and you pick rocks. And uh, at one point we just said, you know, this picking rocks really stinks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so let's, and I, I think, you know, whether you're on, super rocky ground or just freshly cleared ground you got you know roots in the in the in the ground you got tree stumps whatever the less tilling you got to do the better in my opinion if you can get away without it i mean there's a place for it but if you can get away without it, it sure makes life easier exactly and you know i'm not I'm not anti-tillage, but I just don't feel in most cases it's necessary. And there's people that, you know, they're sitting on six feet of topsoil and you can do whatever you want. It, it really doesn't yep. matter. Um, yep. But what I will say is the majority of people planting food plots are not planting it on very good ground. You've got the right. cruddy fields left over or, you know, ground that I described. So I think right. that establishment of that brassica plot that you talked or, you know, any small seeded plot, that's a fantastic way. And exactly what you said, if you're going to camp, that's exactly how I would do it. And, you know, mowing it is, I think, important one hour after that roundup application. If you have a cult packer, I would use the cult packer. 
And if you don't have a cold packer, um, I've done the redneck cult packer of cutting a small tree down and dragging it with an ATV. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That works. But something to help, you know, flush that seed and get it to that soil, press it down a little bit, you know, as long as it's touching the soil. And as always, it is better to wait for rain and plant a week later than it is to do it because that's when your best time is. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. All fall stuff is dependent on rain. It's, I mean, that's the name of the game. I mean, we were just talking about uh, corn yields with some of my growers today and what the potential is. And, hey, I mean, we know what we have thus far, but to fill grain, we need more rain and we need sunshine. And it's just the start of fall food plots the same. Yep. So um, <clears throat> you're going to be having one thing you said, too, that I wanted to bring up. You have a clover plot that you said is kind of looking ugly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we have three different clover plots. The one is probably, oh, I don't know, it might be four years old. It's really not looking bad, um, but kind of what our plan was this spring was like, well, we're just going to kind of let this one go and we'll probably end up killing it, putting something fall blend in there. That has kind of yet to be determined. Um, not sure mm-hmm. what we're going to do yet. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to share with anybody, if you have old clover food plots and, you know, they're kind of on that fence of borderline what you want to do with it. What I have found is if you don't fully kill that clover and let's say, you know, a common thing is you go into a brassica, right? You know, everybody, everybody wants brassicas and it's a good thing to rotate. Um, any clover that is still in that field will easily choke out brassicas, um, turnips, radishes. They're not going to do really well if that clover isn't handled. Clover is a perennial, you know, alfalfa perennial, very deep rooted. And if they are not fully dead, they're going to come back quickly and they have a lot more vigor than those small new seeds of brassicas you just put down. So my recommendation to you is make sure it's dead when you spray that. Yep. and go to plant um i've i've i speak from my own poor experience of trying that <laughs> yeah <clears throat> i have tried that already as well and you are correct it does not work so i have broadcasted rye into fill places and that does okay um i think it does okay in certain situations with rain and plus browse pressure if the clover's kept to a point that you know rye will fill in but it's not necessarily needed um another thing i wanted to mention too when you were talking about doing a a one day shop of spreading and planting food plot seed you know let's say you're you're planning on going up the second weekend in august to your place that's two hours away and you're going to do exactly what we just described um maybe you go up the opening weekend of archery season, you know, archery season opens statewide first weekend in October, usually. Yep. And there is nothing wrong. If you plan a trip up there to bring with you hundred pounds, 150 pounds per acre of rye. And when you get to your food plots on October 1st, overseed them with rye, if they are thin, or if you have a system that you just need to thicken up, or even if you have a drought fail, you know, let's say you plant and have a complete drought failure and we don't start getting rains till the end of September, October's not too late to salvage a food plot. Sure. 
for sure. Don't give up. Last year, we preceded plots September 15th with radishes, and we were broadcasting rye the i think it was four days before season opened in archery season so that would have been like the last few days of september yep um by mid-october you know we had some good october rains they actually looked pretty good and it got us through the season right yeah we we did the same thing as well some of our stuff that we had just broadcasted into the corn uh some of it didn't take as good the first time around i think it was actually i think it was actually the first weekend of the season now come to think about it we just okay. yeah we just received seeded a lot of it and like you said till beginning of november man that that looked good mm-hmm. so I'm trying to think of other situations that people might run into i feel like the the weedy plots are cleaning them up uh, one thing I'll, I'll add in about cleaning clover, if you've planned ahead, I wouldn't do this this time of year anymore, but let's say you've got an ugly clover field and you want to put that into a fall plot. <clears throat> Rewind about a month ago, maybe two weeks ago, and you wanted to burn that down, you could do a quart to a quart and a half per acre of glyphosate and add a pint of 2,4-D in. Um, adding a pint of 2,4-D, you know, for certain crops, you can wait seven days, you can plant for brassicas, that'd be on the on the conservative side, and I would go two weeks. But adding that 2,4-D in is another mode of action to kill clover and clean the field up. Um, that's That's been something that I've noted to really help clean a clover field up. Uh, for me, I shared with you that I had a, a fail this spring in planting. And if you go back to our other podcast, we talked about spring plots. Um, all of our food plots this year, we planted in buckwheat and planted a summer cover crop. It would have been planted mid-June. And the buckwheat was there for a couple of reasons, you know, soil conservation reasons and soil health reasons. But it was also there because we had originally planned on broadcasting our food plot blend into it, then cultipacking the buckwheat over top of it to cover the seed and then spray it dead with with uh, glyphosate. And it was a fail. And the reason it was a fail, we experimented and I we've learned this the hard way, but you know, sometimes you, you just too dumb to, to realize that you make the same mistake twice, but we did it on a whole scale. So all the acres, we just did the same thing. Yep. And we left all of the cereal rye that we planted last fall, go into heads and mature. And what we did was broadcast our buckwheat right into that rye because it wasn't too thick. We thought we could get away with it and then cover the rye over top of the buckwheat and spray it dead. Okay. And unfortunately, what happened, if we would have had more rain, we might have had better success. But if you remember back beginning to mid into the, you know, getting toward most of June, I'm going to say getting towards yep. 4th of July, we were extremely hot and extremely dry. Yep. And that really knocked back the buckwheat. And when we started getting rains, it seemed like it was too late. We had poor start and it was thinner than we wanted and unfortunately what happened then is we started to get weeds so one of the successes we had is um the rye suppressed a lot of noxious weeds but it did not suppress certain weeds and we knew we weren't going to be able to plant 
peas and soybeans into a thatch of dead rye that had nothing covering the seed. Right. So to, uh, to change gears for us, what we decided to do is I went through, uh, I think a week or a week and a half ago and sprayed all the fields clean with roundup. And I added to four D and some because, uh, we had mare's tail and mare's tail is not going to die from roundup. So we added that and got those cleaned and ready. And we are going to, Lord willing, we're going to plan on renting a drill and planting them with the drill this year. Okay. That'll be interesting to see how that works for you. Is that pretty much the first time you would have used the drill up there? It's the second time. The, okay. uh, the first time we used the drill, we had rented one from uh, an outfit and we had two issues happen. Number one, a lot of what we planted, we established some, uh, some perennial clover. So we, we did a fall seeding of clover with the drill and it was probably in July sometime. And you know how, you know, clovers can just be so agonizing to watch grow cause they're slow growing. Right. Um, it established well with the clover and the issue we had was, we bought seed from a seed company that I'm not going to mention the name of because I don't think that's right, but it was not Devon seed. It wasn't good Devon seed, <laughs> but uh, the uh, the seed company we bought from, we had a complete failure because some of the food plots that year were planted with a drill. Some of them were planted with our, you know, our traditional conventional system of doing some tilling, call the packing and such. And you know, I, I'm not going to claim that we're the best food plotters in the world, but we're no dummies either. And uh, uh-huh. we had a, a fail of food plot from seed. And we uh, partly to blame with the, uh, you know, we wanted to blame the drill, but I can't blame the drill. We haven't done a drill since. Um, and it's not because I don't want to. I would love to have a drill, but I've had such a hard time finding one that we can get around the property and it's not going to bang it up and we can actually move it around. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we don't have to worry about, it's pretty easy to get equipment in and out of. So we try to take advantage of that as much as we can. And I think I want to stress that to anybody listening to this. If you've got the ability to do it that way, if you've got somebody who can help you, you know, maybe your, your land, you've got a farmer neighbor or maybe a farmer rents cropland from you. If you can get them to establish plots with a drill, you can conserve on seed costs and you can get yourself started. If you're conventionally tilling at the moment, it can be your gateway into starting with no-till and soil health. And uh, we could do a whole podcast on why you would want to do that. But number one, uh, keep in mind, you could save some seed costs. You could save yourself some time and headaches and you could be on your way to better food plots in my, my, my honest opinion. Right. So one of the funny questions I think I get often, or you have conversations with people at a, you know, at a a game dinner or, you know, wherever in deer camp or something, people talk about what's the best food plot. If I had to plant, if you had to pick one species, what would you pick? What would you pick? Um, Everybody's is different. Do you have something in mind, Devon, that sticks out to you like that? Um, well, I guess, I mean, there, and I, I have people ask me the same thing and I always have to ask, you know, a couple questions. Well, 
are we talking early season here? Are we talking late season? Um, is this a plot I can only hunt over one time? Is this, you know, an all around all season plot? I don't know that I really have a favorite. I think it varies on the time of year. So we do plant a lot of corn and that does lend itself well to hunting late season. Um, so, I mean, that, that is going to be a tough one for me, but you know, I, I realize not near everyone has the luxury of being able to plant corn. That's going to last into late season like we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's I, probably going to be, the, probably, oh, go ahead. That's probably going to be, that's probably going to be my pick for now. And, and you know what? I think the answer you gave is textbook and it's hits the nail on the head because there is no one size fits all. This is the food plot because it's whitetails are so diverse. Properties are so yep. diverse. Hunting, hunting pressure changes, cropping rotations change, forestry practice. Change. There's so many influences that can affect it that you can't have a one size fits all. Um, right. I have some, some plants that I do lean towards a little bit and I'm going to shed light on them a little bit. For years, we had everything in clover, and clover does great for a lot of things. Clover's great in early archery season, and if you have enough, depending on the type of property you have, it can last for a good length of the season. The problem is clover is going to go into a dormant mode sometime in November, and once they eat all that leafy growth off of it, they are... It's just not as attractive. So, I mean, the first part of archery season for us used to be fantastic, but it would diminish. And I believe we were in a sense of denial for a long time because, you know, we had pictures of deer or we'd see deer in rifle season, late muzzleloader season, coming out into those fields and digging. And they're, you know, they're digging to eat that clover. They're digging to eat that clover. Well, keep in mind, that's not necessarily means that's the best food plot. That just means that dormant dead clover. If there is anything left is actually the best thing available in that area. So there's a bigger problem beyond the food plot. Yep. But um, clover does a a great thing. It does provide tonnage and it is, it is an attractive food source. Um, One thing we learned is it'll, you'll have a lot of deer there throughout the entire year and i'm not saying that's a bad thing but i do know that it's typically reduced our tonnage potential going into hunting season because there's a lot of mouths eating it right um so yeah clover is a good one soybean is another one that gets a lot of a lot of topic do you sell a bunch of soybean seed devon or is that not something that's you know popular in in your area um yeah, actually, I, I do a decent amount. <clears throat> I think this year I sold about 25 acres worth, um, which from a food plot standpoint, that's a lot of seed, you know, from Absolutely. an egg 25 acres isn't much, but, um, and that is something I would like to try at some point. Um, I wish we would have tried it this year, but yeah, with our, with our drill situation, I wasn't really willing to just broadcast expensive soybean seed and hope for the best. Um, but, uh, we may actually try that next year instead of corn just to okay. kind of change it up a little bit. Um, Cause I mean, I think 
nothing is ever totally bulletproof. I think you should try everything once just to make sure it doesn't work better than what you were trying before. But, um, yeah, I, I think it would there again, soybeans lend itself well to overseeding into as well, which we like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our, what would, the case with soybeans is and no matter where you're planting them, you're going to have a lot more summertime browse pressure than you do with corn. So if you can keep ahead of the deer, I think we would be fine. Um, but it's just, yeah, I'm not sure how that would all work out yet. We're just basically have to try it and see. Yeah. And soybeans, you got to keep in mind timing of planting is going to have an influence on how palatable that, that bean is, you know, beans are going to grow and they're going to be attractive. And if you get a good forage soybean, like Devon has at the shop, you know, they're going to be really palatable all the way up until they get a frost. And when they get that frost, you know, whatever they've determined in bean set and pods, you know, they'll produce that and those deer will eat those pods then. But they'll 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 eat that green vegetative growth. If you get a conventional bean or a different maturing group bean, they're gonna they have a determined life cycle of when they start to reproduce flowers and when they start to die off. And you know, there's gonna be important time where probably in September, if it's an early planted soybean, where they're not gonna be attractive. So you're looking at your beans being something that are going to be fed from spring through summer and might not be the greatest attraction throughout most of hunting season. Now, if you have pods and you have a cold winter and you're hunting late season, Hey, that's probably one of the most attractive food sources that you can have. Right. Yeah. Um, But if, if you have a situation like that and that's what you're relying on, um, you're setting yourself up for the last part of hunting season. You're, you're missing a boatload of potential as far as food plots. Yeah. Unless you, know, you uh, unless you get some green in there by over, but exactly. So, I mean, uh, f- soybeans are great. I have nothing against soybeans. I think they're fantastic for deer. They're a fantastic food source, but you got to use, in my opinion, what I'm getting back to is I think you got to use these species in a system. Um, you know, I'm planting soybeans now, end of June, uh, July into August, with the idea that they are going to be green, leafy, succulent. They're going to be eating on them now until they're dead from either over browse or too cold and they die from frost. Yep. So they're you're using it for the leafy green. I'm not looking to get grain out of this. You know, you talked about that earlier my pro the property that we're planting food plots on there's no way i would ever grow corn i can't they're going to annihilate it um so i stick with greens and greens are something that aren't in that area and i think that's what meets it to a t yeah this is what works yeah exactly um so to answer the question of what is the best food plot i think you need to keep in mind the best food plot is what is the most attractive food source at that particular time. Yep. And you have to plan your food plots to reach your goals. My goal is not to have summertime food plots and necessarily have a feeding program for deer though i have nothing against that they would just eat me out of house and home i don't have enough acres and i don't have a deep enough wallet to do that 
Um, But what my goal is, is the deer herd that is there. I want to make sure that I have the absolute best food on the property in hunting season, the maximum tonnage and the best diversity food for the beginning, the middle and the end of the season, or at least try to extend it as long as possible, because that's going to give me the best ability to hunt those deer, see them have a pattern of use in those fields and ultimately have a say in what deer get shot and potentially what deer get passed on because they're spending daylight hours on that property. Right. Yeah. I think that's enough ranting and raving about food plots for now. What do you think? Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. Um, Yeah. I'm excited to uh, see how this fall goes. Basically like we touched on it, fall plots, especially are really dependent on the weather. So um, yeah, it remains to be seen, but yeah, I think we, we got enough info out there. If if, uh, somebody still has questions, I'm sure they can uh, reach out somebody that knows the answer, but I think it's a good starting point. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to throw this out there, reach out to Devon. Um, You know, Devon's got a lot of experience with food plotting. He's a farmer, he's selling seed, you know, reach out to little mountain outfitters and chat, chat with him, get up, get a hold of us. Um, We do have a Facebook page. We do have an Instagram now blame me. It's not very well kept, but if you look up PA Woodsman, podcast uh you are going to find us and if you send something to us we will eventually get back to you um it, it will happen but uh you know post a comment you know ask a question give devon a call um and you know we'd love to help you that's exactly right so i'm going to leave you with this um if you have private land and you are not planting food plots you could do just as good if you went and found a good piece of public land and hunted that there there you go if you are not planting food plots you are missing out because they are so critical if you are trying to hunt a good deer and devon and i are we're trying to shoot the best buck we can yep So, so whether it's on private or whether it's on one of your public pieces or one of the pieces I'm hunting, uh, I don't really care, but this is part of the fun. This is part of the, part of the joy of the outdoors and being a woodsman, right? That's exactly right. (laughs) Hey, until next time, uh, good luck with planting Devon and hopefully all goes well. Lord willing, we get some good rains and, hopefully we're uh, tuned in and ready to go for for archery season that's exactly right sounds good thanks pal you take care yep likewise see you